0: Welcome to the Bridge Builder program, an initiative of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, where we help you live your faith in the public arena. I'm Jason Adkins, executive director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and joining me is our producer and Minnesota Catholic Conference communications manager, Kit Sapiniak. Hey, Kit.
1: Hey, Jason. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in again this week. Jason, who are you speaking with this week?
0: Well, we are blessed to have on the program Danielle Brown. Uh, Danielle is a native Detroiter like myself, and she is the associate director of the Ad Hoc Committee Against Racism of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. So we're going to have a really great and important discussion, a lot about a lot of hot topics, critical race theory, what is that and what to do about it, but also the connection between the church's efforts to combat racism and evangelization.
1: It sounds like it's definitely a very timely conversation surrounding Martin Luther King Jr. And Black History Month is coming up in February as well. So really being able to look at some of that through a Catholic lens, I think will be really great. I will be back at the end of the program with this week's action item.
0: I'm now joined on the Bridge Builder by Danielle Brown. She's the Associate Director of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops Ad Hoc Committee Against Racism. Born and raised in the Archdiocese of Detroit, she is a lawyer licensed in the state of Michigan. She served on many boards, commissions, and ministries in Lansing, including co-founding and leading one of Renewal Ministries' first young adult discipleship chapters, ID 916. She's also a delegate at the USCCB Convocation of Catholic Leaders and the National Black Catholic Congress. Previously, she was a three-time governor-appointed appellate administrative law judge in the state of Michigan and an assistant deputy legal counsel to the governor. Danielle, what a privilege to have you on The Bridge Builder today. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Jason. Happy to be here.
0: Tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry background, just your passion for ministry and evangelization.
2: It really was something that the Lord initiated, and I found myself really the recipient of some deep healing of of things that had been building up in my life for years. And once that healing happened, I just, I couldn't shut up about the Lord and what he wanted to do in people's lives. So that really drove uh, me saying yes when presented with the opportunity to start young adult ministry and spread uh, sort of like a ripple effect to my desire to potentially do it full time.
0: Called and sent. What a beautiful story. So then that taking that next step, you've taken on really a challenging ministry role as associate director at the USCCB's Ad Hoc Committee Against Racism. What compelled you to then jump into that calling within a calling?
2: It was really a, you know, at the end of my life, if I say no to this, well, I regret it. And just this realization that it was probably a once in a lifetime opportunity, but combined with just a burning desire to, again, bridge a lot of the gaps that I had been seeing in the Catholic Church and and really more than just seeing experiencing in my own life and sort of the pain that it had caused me just to to have a deficit of witness and a deficit of of voices speaking to particular issues or really just a normalization of people who look like me in Catholicism. I, I found all of those things to be absent. I saw this as an opportunity to speak to to those absences.
0: Say a little bit about the gaps that you saw in the church, and I think collectively with response to African American issues or racism generally, but we talk a little bit more about those gaps and the places like you thought you could really fill those gaps.
2: I started consuming Catholic media and I was consuming it because I wanted to learn. And so, you know, once I discovered that I could learn a lot about faith and go deeper into faith and form my worldview and my spirit through really solid sources in media and online, I just started consuming them all the time. But after a while, I realized that, oh my goodness, you know, for most of the people who are transmitting these truths and most people certainly around me who are subscribing to these truths and really trying to live their lives as disciples out loud in my circles in the Midwest were for the most part people who were European American. That's not a problem except for after a while it can start to have an impact on one's self-image when the true, the good, the beautiful is only seen as being possessed by one people group. And I feel, if I can just sort of make the jump now into that that thought, that the Catholic Church, particularly in the United States, has really struggled with that and has not seen the potential for that truth, the goodness, and the beauty to dwell in or to be understood by people outside of Uh, European-American groups, and that is not to say that there is anything wrong with the way in which the people who are the transmitters of the faith today have done that over time, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with these voices, but as I say to folks, after a while, once you get used to seeing the truth, the good, and the beautiful coming out of one people group only, it starts to affect the way that you see other people, starts to affect the way that you view folks when you walk into a room. And so over time, if you were conditioned to believe that certain people groups most likely do subscribe to your same beliefs, Judeo-Christian values, it will start over time you to not see others as sharing those commonalities, or or even in, in extreme cases, having the ability, those same views. And so I, I saw this work as an opportunity to speak to, uh, to those gaps.
0: You have been involved in Renewal Ministries, and I'm a big fan, especially of Ralph Martin and his work. And his contention is, is that in some way, since the council, the missionary impulse has been lost to a degree. And I, and, it's, and I think some people have the sense that in the African-American community, uh, we've lost some ground. Um, many yeah. African-American men, especially, have converted to Islam. We have an attorney general here uh, who grew up Catholic and then converted to Islam, for example. And that despite the problems of under, the underfunded Black and Indian missions in the early part of the 20th century, segregated parishes in some parts of the South, I think there's a sense among some that we've actually lost ground in terms of having you know really strong, vibrant uh, parishes and African American participation in church life. what What are your thoughts and observations
2: on that point? I would say that it's it's most likely true and and there are a number of factors. I think it's really hard to pinpoint why that is, but again, The number of stories of folks that I've encountered just in my few years with the conference wherein the person is African-American and is now a pastor in some other Protestant denomination, but grew up Catholic, altar server, or uh, wanted to be a priest or wanted to be a nun, but because of some slight or because of somebody of influence who told them that people like you don't do that, they've found their homes in other places and found a way to be leaders in other places. And, and yes, the missionary impulse is, is, is alive and well in the Catholic Church. But whenever I talk to apostolate leaders, whenever I talk to bishops, I have to ask them how well are we doing ending the spiritual apartheid that exists in the Catholic Church? You know, And that, that's a phrase that I actually used when I was able to present to the teachers in your Catholic schools a few months ago. The spiritual apartheid, in my estimation, is the stratification of really access to and the propagation of the principles of the faith along racial groups and it's nothing that people have necessarily tried to do but there is this enormous gulf that exists between we're talking about african-americans let's stay there joe ordinary african-american how well aware is he of catholicism and how close are his next encounters with it versus joe ordinary european-american You know, how well aware of the Catholic Church is he and how close are his next interactions with it? We have to ask ourselves, how has society in the United States kind of been cultivated to make it more likely for certain ethnic groups to have dynamic encounters with Christ as his presence and his fullness is within the Catholic Church versus other groups, So tell us a
0: little bit about then the work of the Ad Hoc Committee. It it seems that the mission is is to to correct some of those faults and to fill some of those gaps.
2: The Ad Hoc Committee was put together in response to sort of the resurgence of a lot of the violent clashes that were happening around 2015, 16, and 17. And if any of us can remember, it seems like a whole world ago. But, you know, the racial issues in the country were just starting to bubble up on a national stage and the bishops wanted a way to sort of in a concerted way be addressing those things. One of the first large initiatives that the committee began exploring and executing were listening sessions on racism, wherein the bishops were able to sit down with people in the dioceses and really listen to the experiences of folks who, by all other accounts, had never had an opportunity to share directly to the bishop and to the brothers and sisters in the diocese what they've gone through. But the committee's work cuts across just about every aspect of the church. And so we've done a lot of work with Catholic education from K through higher education. We've done work with consecrated life and vocations, lots of addresses at uh, seminaries, as well as diocesan retreat days for priests and bishops. And so a lot of the work has been simply trying to deliver the message, A, of the gospel, but B, of the most recent pastoral letter, Open Wider Hearts, to both the bishops, the presbyterate, as well as the laity. The point here is peeling back the layers that have been applied to this issue, setting the baseline that the issue of racism is an evangelization issue. It is a salvation issue, depending on where you are with this. Because the fact of the matter is that, that we as Catholics believe that You get to see the Lord and enjoy the beatific vision when and if you have been completely purged of your sins. And so that includes sins of unforgiveness. And that includes, yes, sins of racism. You know, we know the mercy of God and we know that his mercy is beyond our understanding. So we can't necessarily say by any obviously absolute means who will and will not be with the Lord. But we do believe that with sin, you cannot be one of those counted amongst his saints. And so applying this issue to racism, again, folks have to understand that it is only in and through a conversion and understanding that any sort of anger or any sort of hatred or any sort of ill-formed conscience as it relates to one's brother and or sister, based on ethnicity, must be purged. And it is an immediate issue. And it is an issue that could potentially cause a person not to reach their eternal reward. But, you know, moving a little bit more towards the concrete, it is also an issue that prevents people from moving closer to Christ. And so because of people's biased behaviors, we have, and, and I don't know the numbers specifically, but we do have, I would say, a significant number of people, particularly African Americans, who feel estranged from the church or who have completely left the church or who will not approach the Catholic church because of what they perceive to be a church that does not have concern for them and a church that is, I have heard people say intrinsically biased against them. And so that is a problem and, and that is something that, that we still need to strive against and, and there are pastoral needs for a significant number of people in the United States that the Catholic Church can do better to address.
0: Well, Pope Francis calls us to understand all of the church's structures and ministries and institutions through the lens of evangelization. And I think you've highlighted and and really drawn out for us that connection between the committee's work and evangelization and the reality that racism is a sin. It endangers our immortal souls. And when we sin and engage in that, we create stumbling blocks for people to encounter Christ. So Beautifully said, Danielle. Thank you for that. And I think that just gets to the very heart of the matter. Danielle, you've highlighted well and and underscored the way in which racism is a sin. And people understand, I think, intuitively at the personal level, what that looks like. But we also say, and the bishops also say that that the sin of racism can be embedded in our society's structures. It can be a structure of sin. What do we mean when we say that racism can also be a structural sin or a sin of society?
2: Right, so the Catechism um, of the Catholic Church in paragraph 1869 says that sins give rise to social situations and institutions, and in this situation, they're talking about personal sins, so the Catechism says sins give rise to social situations and institutions that are contrary to divine goodness. Structures of sin then are the expression and effect of personal sins that lead their victims to do evil in turn. In an analogous sense, they constitute a social sin. So we can see very clearly there that the catechism lays out some really acute aspects of this issue that we're seeing being played out in society.
0: What are some of those structures of sin that the U.S. bishops are most particularly concerned about, or have spoken to, or what would you identify even personally as some of the real challenges when we're talking about structures of sin?
2: The ones that I think we see being played out as a committee, and the ones that I get the most contacts about, are inner city parishes. Inner city parishes are are constantly struggling to stay afloat, and a lot of times those are the parishes that particularly African-American people have have settled in. And so my committee gets contacted when African-American parishes or majority African-American parishes are being shut down or congregations of people are essentially feeling like they're being relocated due to new groups of people who aren't part of the original groups moving in to really become the predominant influences at those parishes. Now, can we say directly that those decisions were directly related to racism? No, we can't. But what we can say is that decisions were made later to essentially withdraw support because the resources that would go to those schools, those parishes, are thought to be better spent and better targeted in other places. What we have to be weary of is certainly the beginnings of decisions um, that were made by people before us that caused evangelical opportunities to be missed. And every time we close down an inner city parish, we have to ask ourselves, why did we make that decision? And can we look at other situations where communities were allowed to do the fundraising and and allowed to do the work uh, that would allow that school to remain open? And so it's not that racism is a cause for everything, but it is that executive decisions are being made with respect to communities of color That impact them negatively. And we need to look back and see where those things have happened and try to atone for them if we can.
0: Yeah, simply because um, a certain type of parishioner has left the parish and that's as a dwindling population doesn't mean the people in the neighborhood. There are no longer people in the neighborhood. So why don't we go out (laughs) and get them and bring them in? We're fortunate to have a new auxiliary bishop uh, being uh, ordained on January 25th who did just that in his parish the, the white people left, um, but then he went out into the community and brought in largely Central American population, and now it's a thriving parish, and that's why he's going to be a bishop. So we're delighted <laughs> to have Bishop Will, Elect Williams uh, coming to the Archdiocese and, and taking that impulse and that sensibility out into the community and evangelizing people and putting the resources toward it. So well, very well said, Danielle. Thank you for that perspective.
2: Sure.
0: I'd be remiss if I didn't address a question with you that we get a lot of inquiry about critical race theory. We need good thinkers like you and and resources helping us unpack that because although critical race theory started as an academic theory to, I think, understand what you described so well earlier as the structures of sin. I think what people are troubled by Is the way in which we're seeing things like specific propositions like race essentialism or defining everything in in society in terms of victims and oppressors or that our primary identity should be understood through a racial lens? And I think people are concerned by what they see in terms of the manifestations of that. From the standpoint of your work, either personally or through the USCCB's ad hoc committee, what do we do with this critical race theory debate?
2: First of all, we have to understand that it that it's complicated. And, you know, that sounds like a throwaway comment. But, it, but it, one of the biggest issues, Jason, is that when people start talking about critical race theory, even amongst people who are perceived to be on the same page, you ask them what critical race theory means to them. And oftentimes they have vastly different understanding mm-hmm. um, of, of what the phrase means. So Folks have to slow down, first of all. I think, Jason, that you really well defined what critical race theory is in terms of uh, its origin, and and it did begin as a legal theory, absolutely. But the way that it's been talked about, particularly in the last two or three years, it has evolved the phrase has evolved to be used in public spaces and in the media, particularly amongst conservative media as kind of a catch-all for anything that has to do with race. Mm -hmm. That's a really big problem. So what I have seen is that far too much conservative folks or folks who are, maybe they're not conservative, but maybe they're just sort of nervous to talk about issues related to race. If you bring anything up related to race, they say that's critical race theory, it's Marxist, we shouldn't talk about this whatsoever, which is problematic because there are large swaths of people in the United States, particularly people of color, who are exceedingly concerned about race and racism in the United States because of all the pains racism has caused throughout the ages. And that's something that we have to pay attention to, you know, and and where we find ourselves in trouble as Catholics is that it it feels like we are in this point in time where Catholics are willing to just kind of cast aside large bodies of thought, large groups of people and say, we just need to sort of uh, circle the wagons and not let anything from the outside get in. Um, Whereas we are sort of allowing um, society to, to take over. So our absence in conversations and our ability to stand firm in the teachings of the the Catholic Church, Catholic social teaching as originally intended to be applied to uh, social life, our inability to stand firm and strong in Catholic faith has uh, allowed for us to have A completely incompetent response, if I can say that, um, to critical race theory. Because if we were able to stand strong in our faith and stand strong in a Catholic social teaching, we would have an ability to actually have conversation and dialogue with the questions that critical race theory presents. Because that's really where we need to be concerned. Critical race theory is catching on because it seems to be. A prescription for a problem that is huge and, and and many people have said you know it's 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 the wrong prescription for a definite problem we have to bring our catholic worldview we have to bring our christian worldview to these questions and our inability to do that is again causing problems um, and so whenever i do hear people speak on these issues Um, again, particularly in conservative circles, there is sort of a, um, there, there can be an arrogance in communicating about these issues, but what people should understand is, well, what I believe is that in putting critical race theory to paper, people had a motivation to solve for why there is great pain and suffering that seems to be so much so disproportionate in certain groups of people and and that's really if catholics want to start trying to to figure this out they can start there why is there so much pain and suffering in particular ways in certain communities and what can we do um, to alleviate that based on the teachings of christ and and the mission of jesus today
0: Just like with Marxism in the past, we had to understand what was alluring about that theory of social relations and what injustices did it speak to. And I think you're pointing out that the same is true with the attractiveness of uh, critical race theory and uh, some of the associated worldviews associated with it. But at the same time, you point out so helpfully that the church has the resources and the tools to address properly identity politics and transcend the, the binaries and the polarization, we can talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion as important values, but think of them in terms of the gospel and our identity exactly. as brothers and sisters and children of the one father. That's right. And not make our secondary identities, our primary identities. And I think that's, that gets to the heart of the issue. So, but we need not be afraid of the conversation and we have to be confident, as you well said, that the church has the resources to deal with these things. And then to that point, Danielle, my final question for you would be what practical things can Catholics do to combat racism and be instruments of evangelization. I don't want to underestimate the importance of being nice to people. Um, (laughs) That's that really matters. Uh, Being kind, being kind is a great first step, but beyond being kind to people of different races and ethnicities, creeds, colors, et cetera, what are two, one or two things, practically speaking.
2: I really want to ask people to pick up two books One is very short. It's called From Christendom to Apostolic Age. The second one is The Soul of the Apostolate. Number two is very concrete. Joe Ordinary Catholic and Joe Extraordinary Catholic and Joanna um, can make a list of groups and institutions that they are a part of and figure out what their influence is in those groups. Figure out who's there and who's not. And then pray about which one of these groups you're most invested in. Pray about which one of these groups that you feel most convicted to call to to build up. And in the process of building that up, what this person can start to do is figuring out who are the people that are there that are decision makers, that could act to open doors up wide for people who may have been traditionally left out of those spaces. You know, and, and even if you live in the middle of the tundra that is Minnesota right now and and you don't even know where to find people of color, that's fine. You can pray and you can pray fiercely and you can get on the phone and uh, talk to other people who do live proximate to, to people of color and ask them these same questions. You know, has this hit your radar? What do you think we could do? Uh, can it be a prayer support in your efforts? So there's a number of things that we can do, but remember that this is an evangelization issue and this is an access to truth, goodness, and beauty as it exists in the, in the Catholic church. And, and finally, people can work on their own healing, period.
0: That's excellent, and fostering social, economic, ecclesial participation, the call to participation, one of the themes of Catholic social teaching and, and thank you, Danielle Brown for joining us on the bridge builder program today. Thank you. And we'll be back in a moment with our practical tip of the week. Welcome back to the bridge builder where we help you bridge the gap between faith and public life. I'm Jason Adkins of the Minnesota Catholic conference. And now it's time to take a look at our practical action tip of the week kit. What do you have for us?
1: Yeah, so this week relates directly to the conversation you just had with Danielle. We want everyone to take some time to read through the USCCB's pastoral letter against racism. That letter is entitled, Open Wide Our Hearts, The Enduring Call to Love. So you can find that letter and the study guide and other resources by going to the USCCB's website or simply doing a quick search online for USCCB and Open Wide Our Hearts. Thanks everyone for tuning in today. If you're listening on the radio, make sure to catch us on your favorite podcast app as well, or on our YouTube channel, where we keep all of the extended conversations that just don't fit into that half-hour radio program.
0: Thanks so much for joining us on The Bridge Builder today. We'll be back again next week with another great guest and a practical tip for building bridges between faith and public life. I'm Jason Adkins, and for Kitsipiniak at the Minnesota Catholic Conference, thanks for listening, and have a blessed day.